We are the only minority group that you can join overnight. From Overnight Productions. In the twinkling of an eye, in fact. The way they choose to use their sexual organs would not be a basis for claiming discrimination. Wouldn't make any difference at all. Whether they're gay or not, wouldn't make any difference. My personal feeling is that based on the hate rhetoric that's coming out of the Republican Party, I think Governor Wilson will veto these bills. If you circulated in what were the artistic crowds, if you will, or if you were homosexual, you were soon made aware of the existence of this Johns Committee. It was supposed to be a guide to help you identify homosexuality in the state of Florida, what to look for. Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Lucia Chappelle. Anti-queer Istanbul marchers demand no promo homo, Belgian bishops announce celebration of same-gender couples, and Colorado, California, and Florida rights in the rearview mirror. Those stories and more this week because you've discovered the 1800th episode of This Way Out. I'm Marcos Najera. And I'm M.R. Raquel. With Newswrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending September 24th, 2022. More than 10,000 opponents of queer rights took to the streets of Istanbul on September 18th in what the Associated Press called the largest demonstration of its kind, marchers demanded laws banning so-called LGBTQ propaganda. They called it the Big Family Gathering, and it targeted alleged pro-queer promotion its organizers said permeates Netflix and Turkish social media. Gathering spokesperson Kushat Mijan claimed that more than 150,000 Turks had signed a pre-demonstration petition to call for anti-queer censorship. Inflammatory video clips from past LGBTQ pride parades were circulated to inspire homophobic zealots. The video clips even ran on Turkish state media as public service announcements to encourage the protest. Turkey once hosted the largest queer celebrations in the region. More than 100,000 people celebrated Pride in Istanbul in 2014. A month later, right-wing autocratic president Rajiv Tayyip Erdogan came to power, and that ended that. Istanbul Pride was officially banned again this past June, but hundreds of peaceful participants tried to march anyway. Several were injured and arrested in a brutal attack by local and national security police. Istanbul's September 18th anti-LGBTQ demonstration alarmed local and global human rights groups. They fear it signals a continued tilt to the right in Turkey. Roman Catholic bishops in Belgium are authorizing religious celebrations for committed same-gender couples in defiance of the Vatican. However, the Bishops' Conference of Belgium posted a document to its website on September 20th emphasizing that it's not what the church understands to be sacramental marriage. They call the ceremonies part of a welcoming church that excludes no one. There will be ritual prayers and a commitment by each couple in the presence of family and friends to be faithful to one another. The Vatican officially banned such ceremonies in March last year. That document insisted that the Roman Catholic Church does not and cannot bless sin because it would be endorsing sex outside of traditional marriage. 
queer Roman Catholic LGBTQ groups around the world are celebrating the advance. Francis de Bernardo of the U.S.-based New Ways Ministry said in a statement, Love is more important than sexual behavior, and love is something that the church should always bless. The Vatican has yet to respond to the Belgian bishop's decision. The executive committee of the U.S. Southern Baptist Convention voted to cut ties with two congregations, even though one had already beaten them to it. College Park Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina, was condemned after a two-day conference in Nashville, Tennessee this week. The charge was open affirmation, approval, and endorsement of homosexual behavior, a direct violation of denominational policy. That's probably why College Park left the convention in 1999 to affiliate with more progressive Baptist associations. The Southern Baptist Convention cannot force churches to submit to its policies. Instead, it classifies contrary congregations as not being in friendly cooperation. That's the judgment on Amazing Grace Community Church of Franklinville, New Jersey. The executive committee cited its lack of cooperation to resolve concerns regarding alleged discriminatory behavior. The nature of those offenses is unclear. The Southern Baptist Convention is itself being investigated by the U.S. Justice Department. Allegations include widespread mishandling of sexual abuse cases by individual pastors, churches, or affiliated organizations. The governor of the Mexican state of Durango issued a decree on September 18th officially opening civil marriage to lesbian and gay couples. Governor Esteban Villegas Villarreal had grown wary of legislative inaction. Each of Mexico's 31 states was to legally implement marriage equality after a decision by the nation's Supreme Court in 2015. Same-gender couples in the federal district of Mexico City could already marry, and 22 states have opened the civil institution since the court order. Five others still need to update their laws to reflect a state court marriage equality ruling or a gubernatorial decree. In the states of Guerrero, Mexico, Tabasco, and Tamaulipas, couples can marry, but they must go to a federal judge to get a personal injunction. That's called an amparo, and a federal judge is bound by the Supreme Court ruling to issue it. However, it's an expensive and often time-consuming process. The Supreme Court ruling made it clear that every Mexican jurisdiction must allow marriage equality. It's just taking a while. The state of Montana has agreed to follow the rule of law. Perhaps more of a surprise in the United States in 2022 than it should be, the state's Department of Public Health and Human Services put up months of resistance, but will now comply with a judge's order to allow trans people to change the gender marker on their birth certificates for the time being. It used to be easy for trans Montanans to make that change. Then the Republican-dominated legislature enacted a law requiring proof of gender-confirming surgery and court approval. District Judge Michael Moses issued a temporary injunction against the law's enforcement in April. In early September, the health department came out with a new rule that forbid trans people from amending their birth certificates ever. Judge Moses quickly enjoined the enforcement of that rule. The health department initially said that it would again defy Moses' order, but relented on September 18th. Spokesman John Ebeld said in a statement, Despite disagreeing with the order, we will comply with its terms. It's not clear, however, when the department will actually begin processing trans Montanans' applications to amend their birth certificates, or how long the window of opportunity will stay open this time. Two more medical facilities are now the targets of social media attacks by conspiracy-believing transphobic fanatics. 
Tennessee's Vanderbilt University Medical Center and Akron Children's Hospital in Ohio provide gender-affirming care to transgender young people. Treatment includes mental health counseling, puberty blockers, and or hormone therapies. Actual surgeries are never done on trans people under the age of 18. But truth is not enough to stop far-right transphobes. Fox's dictator-looking commentator Tucker Carlson led the charge this week defending the misinformed protesters. In some circles, this would be considered incitement to violence. These are sex crimes, and the people committing them should be punished. Now, try and say that out loud anywhere but on Fox News. You can't. But the term groomer is now hate speech, says NBC News. Yeah, they're being mean to doctors who castrate children, who cut the breasts off girls. Yeah. No parent should put up with this for one second, no matter what the law says. Your moral duty is to defend your children. This is an attack on your children, and you should fight back. Trans rights activists say Carlson and his fellow prevaricators are fomenting attacks against medical facilities and professionals who provide care and support to transgender young people and their families. That care saves lives. Vanderbilt University Medical Center was forced to shut down its website this week after a tsunami of social media attacks, according to the Daily Beast. Finally, a Texas judge has expanded her ruling that stopped the state's Department of Family and Protective Services from investigating the parents of transgender young people for child abuse. Travis County Judge Amy Clark Meacham's original injunction in July halted investigations into two families who had sued the state. In response to another lawsuit, Meacham extended her injunction to cover some 600 Texas members of PFLAG, a queer family support and advocacy organization. Republican Governor Greg Abbott ordered the probes based on a questionable legal decision by his attorney general, Ken Paxton. Both are up for re-election in November. In a media statement, Adri Perez of the ACLU of Texas said, Once again, a Texas court has stepped in to say what we knew from the beginning. State leaders have no business interfering with life-saving care essential for transgender youth. We should trust doctors and every major medical association on how to support transgender youth. We will never stop fighting for the rights, safety, and dignity of transgender Texans. That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude, for the week ending September 24th, 2022. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, Produced by Brian DeShazer and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. For This Way Out, I'm M.R. Raquel. Stay healthy. And I'm Marcos Najera. Stay safe. This Way Out is supported in part by contributions from our listeners. Some give a little each month, some make a larger annual contribution. More information and a link to give are online at thiswayout.org. Thank you. Everything old is new again, again. As we reach our 1800th episode, reports we broadcast 30 years ago this week have an eerie resemblance to today's events and might be even eerier as omens of a history-repeating right-leaning future. 
So let's go back a decade before the decriminalization of same-gender sex and two decades before marriage equality to the last week of September 1992. Pacifica Radio's Verna Avery-Brown and This Way Out's Greg Gordon introduced our coverage of the fights to get and keep queer rights in Colorado and California. In Colorado, when voters go to the polls in November, they can vote to turn back time on rights already extended to gays and lesbians. An initiative sponsored by a group called Colorado for Family Values would make it legal to discriminate against gays and lesbians. Scott Schlegel says polls predict the initiative will fail, but gay rights groups aren't taking any votes for granted. Ordinances in three Colorado cities, Denver, Boulder, and Aspen, currently prohibit discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. Even so, according to a Denver newspaper, there were 30 formal complaints of bias based on sexual orientation in Denver last year, six in Boulder, and three in Aspen. Some complaints involve dismissal from jobs, others involve rent increases or the denial of housing. This kind of discrimination should be legal, say members of the Colorado Springs-based group Colorado for Family Values. Spokesperson Kevin Thibodeau. Their sexuality, the way they choose to use their sexual organs, would not be a basis for claiming discrimination. But they are still protected under every other non-discrimination law that they would come under. Gay rights advocates have organized the Equal Protection Campaign to oppose the amendment. Field organizer Sue Larson says Colorado gays, lesbians, and bisexuals have a broad base of support in cities across the state. Political representatives from both parties have joined on board with us, and our honorary chair is Governor Romer, and that would, I would hope, speak to uh, people regarding how the other side is redefining what family values are. Larson says hate is not a family value, and that has become the slogan of people who oppose the amendment. Attorney Jim Joy of the American Civil Liberties Union Colorado chapter says even heterosexuals fired for suspicion of being gay will have no legal recourse under the amendment. It wouldn't make any difference at all. Whether they're gay or not, it wouldn't make any difference. But he says the amendment may violate the U.S. Constitution. It really may, in fact, be an opportunity under litigation to establish the rights of gay people because if it does pass, the ACLU and other organizations will be in court trying to have it declared unconstitutional under the equal protection provisions of the U.S. Constitution. The U.S. Constitution says that all citizens are entitled to equal protection under the law. However, Colorado for Family Values maintains that the Supreme Court has established that sexual orientation is not a basis for a claim to protected class status. I'm Scott Schlegel in Denver. This is This Way Out, the international gay and lesbian radio magazine, and we're the flirtations. Imagine my surprise 
On September 25th, California Governor Pete Wilson signed AB 2601 into law, a bill protecting the state's gays and lesbians from employment discrimination. Last September, the Republican governor vetoed a similar bill, AB 101, sparking weeks of demonstrations and street protests across the state. The question on everyone's mind this September was, what would Wilson do and when would he do it? David Smith, public information director for the Los Angeles Gay and Lesbian Community Services Center, echoed the pessimism of most of the state's lesbian and gay activists. My personal feeling is that based on the Republican platform, based on the, the hate rhetoric that's coming out of the Republican Party, I think Governor Wilson will veto these bills. Democratic State Assemblyman Terry Friedman was the chief sponsor of last year's AB 101. He also wrote this year's AB 2601. AB 2601, while equally strong as 101, is based on a very different statutory scheme, one that the State Court of Appeals last fall found to require a prohibition on sexual orientation job discrimination. Since that time, the governor's own administration through the Labor Commissioner's Office has followed the appellate court decision and has been pursuing cases of sexual orientation job discrimination. This year's bill simply puts into the statute books the governor's existing policy. I did that because I thought it would be much harder for the governor to veto such a bill. In spite of Pete Wilson's surprising signature on AB 2601, the fight for lesbian and gay civil rights in California is far from over. The governor vetoed a more wide-ranging civil rights bill sponsored by House Speaker Willie Brown the following day. That bill would have extended lesbian and gay anti-discrimination protections in the areas of housing and public accommodations and would also have provided similar protections for non-English-speaking and disabled Californians. And right-wing religious zealots led by Lou Sheldon's Traditional Values Coalition claimed the passage of AB 2601 will encourage the spread of homosexuality and of sexually transmitted diseases. Steve Sheldon, son of Lou, says they're not giving up the fight. Ballot initiative is one of our options. Uh, another, another option is to get the bill, read, or get a uh, revocation of this introduced in the legislature next year when we have a new makeup of, of the assembly. But California Assemblyman Terry Friedman is confident that his AB 2601 will survive. Next January, all Californians will have equal employment opportunities so that their chance to have and keep a job is based on performance and qualifications, not on lawful private behavior. I think this sends a clear message that California does not tolerate bigotry. Step by step the long is what can be won. Many stones to many stones to form and art. Singly none, singly none, singly none. I'm Roman Kalin from Moscow. You are listening to This Way Out. The showpiece of the homosexual movement in the United States. Оставайтесь на нашей волне. Stay in our wavelength. Hi, I'm Brian DeShazer, CEO of This Way Out Radio and Overnight Productions, Inc. I hope you're appreciating the archival sound you're hearing. 
This Way Out Radio is itself a part of queer history. This Way Out has been selected as one of the first-year collections for the Library of Congress National Recording Preservation Board, Radio Preservation Task Force's new program, Sound Submissions. This means This Way Out programs will be preserved for future generations. You can help preserve the future of This Way Out. Email us at info at thiswayout.org to subscribe to our newsletter. Thank you for listening and for your support. Another story from September 1992 came out of Florida. If you think Governor Ron DeSantis is the Don't Say Gay King, wait till you hear about Charlie Johns. Say the name Charlie Johns outside of Florida, and most people will shrug and say they've never heard of him. But for those gays and lesbians who went to school in Florida or worked for the state during the late 1950s, Charlie John's name calls up bitter memories of a state-authorized witch hunt for homosexuals patterned after Joseph McCarthy's campaign against communists. The records of the Florida Legislative Investigation Committee haven't been seen by the public since the committee closed down in the mid-1960s. But an open records amendment scheduled for a vote this November in Florida could force the state to reveal the documents of one of its most embarrassing periods. From Tallahassee, Susan Gage prepared this report. The voices of two women at the reception desk in the old state capitol building echo off the walls up to the second floor. Here's where you find the portrait of Charlie Eugene Johns, Florida's 32nd acting governor from 1953 to 1955. The conservative Democrat served in Florida's legislature for 19 years, and he's probably best known for his work with the Florida Legislative Investigation, or Johns Committee, a body given the power to look into Florida's criminal element. Among the criminals Johns chose to target were the gay men and lesbians in the state school system. If you circulated in what were the artistic crowds, if you will, the non-Greek crowds, or if you were homosexual, you were soon made aware of the existence of this Johns Committee. Frank Coffey graduated from Florida State University in 1960, an English and modern languages student. He was one of the few gays going to school in Florida at the time who managed to get through without the committee's investigator, R.J. Strickland, catching up with them. Coffey credits his luck to the crowd he ran with, people more interested in poetry than going to homosexual parties the committee staged as a means of entrapping students and professors. Still, he's aware of what the consequences were of going to those parties. Calling people in and questioning them under high-powered lights, getting them, if possible, to name everyone they knew who they even thought was homosexual, and that those people in turn would be called in. When the committee formed in 1956, the focus of its investigations was the NAACP. It was a time in the country when states were grappling with the Brown versus the Board of Education decision, forcing integration in schools. The committee was determined to link the NAACP to communism. The attempt backfired, resulting only in a lot of bad press for the NAACP and no tangible results for the committee. It was in August of 1958 that the committee began hunting homosexuals. 
Bonnie Stark graduated from the University of South Florida in 1980 with a master's degree in history. The legislature gave the committee authority to investigate all state agencies for homosexuality. She did her thesis on the Johns Committee. And from 1958 on, that's what the committee did. In 1962, the Johns Committee focused on the recently opened University of South Florida. The specter there was not only homosexuals, but so-called obscene literature, such as the Grapes of Wrath and the presence of communist sympathizers on campus. In 1963, Senator Johns and the committee's attorney, Mark Hawes, gave an hour-and-a-half presentation on the committee's investigation of USF to a joint legislative session. The members weren't impressed, and many senators voted to eliminate the committee. However, the release of the committee's infamous purple pamphlet, entitled Homosexuality and Citizenship in Florida, complete with homoerotic pictures, proved to be the final blow to the Johns group. It was supposed to be a guide to help you identify homosexuality in the state of Florida, what to look for. Legislators, the governor, everyone who read this thing thought it was a pornographic joke. They just were appalled by it, and it resulted in the entire staff quitting. And then in uh, September of 1964, Johns quit. And when he quit, he put in his resignation letter to the uh, Senate president that, in his opinion, they should uh, close the office of the committee lock up its records, and save the taxpayers the remaining appropriation. The legislature did that. The committee received no more money during the 1965 session, and the Senate sealed the records. And they're still sealed today, housed in a long, narrow, fireproof room in the secretary of the Senate's office. A few people have requested the records only to be turned away. Last summer, Senate President Gwen Margolis announced the records wouldn't come out in the sunshine until 2028. Senate Secretary Joe Brown is now the custodian of the records. Most of the committee's meetings were in executive session, leaving the secretary constitutionally in charge of protecting the papers. He remembers what his predecessor said to him the day he took office. He showed me the Johns Committee records and said these have to be kept under guard, locked up from the public. And I said, for how long? And he said, well, probably while you're secretary of the Senate. <laughs> What could change that is the proposed Open Records Amendment passed during this year's legislative session. The amendment, if ratified in November, would cover records of the legislative, executive, and judicial branches. Exemptions to the amendment would require a majority vote of both legislative chambers. We're not talking about John F. Kennedy's assassination. Bonnie Stark would also like the records opened. She says she doesn't care about the names of the committee's victims, many of which are already recorded in the minutes of the Board of Education meetings from the period. By locking up those records, all we're doing is creating a historical injustice because we're saying that uh, for whatever reason, we're, we don't want to learn about this part of our history. Florida Senate President Gwen Margolis's press secretary says the president's decision to release the records in 2028 is based on the federal census standard of keeping personal information secret for 72 years. Whether the open records amendment will affect that will ultimately be a question for the courts to decide. But in the meantime, if anyone wants to see what's in the 44 boxes containing the Johns records, they're going to have to sue for them. Reporting for This Way Out, this is Susan Gage in Tallahassee. Land of flowers, land of light Florida, where our dreams can all take flight There are treasures for all who venture here In Florida Florida Florida
safely, we hope, back in 2022, Colorado and California are two of the most LGBTQ-friendly U.S. states. And in Florida, what year did you say it was again? Thanks for choosing the 1800th episode of This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. Some program material this week came from Marcos Nahara and M.R. Raquel, produced by Brian DeShazer, and with archival material from Verna Avery Brown, Scott Schlegel, Greg Gordon, and Susan Gage, and a congratulatory message from the OPCEO Brian DeShazer. Sugarloaf, The Flirtations, Holly Near, Sweet Honey and the Rock, and Abney Park performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This Way Out acknowledges the support of Margaret Roberts and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors like them make this program possible. Thank you. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For coordinating producer Greg Gordon and everyone at This Way Out, I'm Lucia Chappelle. Thanks for listening online at thiswayout.org, down under via the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia, globally via satellite on the world radio networks, and a wide array of local community, terrestrial, and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned, y'all.